be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved there. Today we want to look at blessings from the Father. I say that carefully because I realize that many of you are thankful for the Father that the Lord gave to you, for the spiritual and physical lessons that you learned from him and so forth. I also realize that there are some here that probably never knew their father or perhaps had a father that was abusive. And so that somehow has a way of tainting tainting that expression, blessings from the father. The the problem that we face with that is, and, and ladies, I don't want you to listen to this next sentence, okay? Just, just let the men listen to this next one. Uh, the, the problem that we face is there is no such thing in this life as a perfect father. Now, men, if you thought you were the perfect example, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but uh, talk to your kids. <laughs> uh, they, they can burst the, bu- the bubble for you there. So often when we think of the father, it's, it's the, the problem is that we equate that with our earthly father, and, and sometimes we, we miss out on what God wants to reveal through that. We are taught in Scripture, in the Lord's Prayer, to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. I know some of our translations have changed that to our mother. Others have put other words in there, but uh, the fact of the matter is that's how Jesus put it, Our Father, who art in heaven. And so that's how we're going to look at it. And that, that's how, I don't know about you, but that's how I, I pray that, that prayer. What are the blessings that we receive from the Father? Now, again, as I mentioned last week, the verses that we're looking at today are just part of a long sentence. It starts in verse 4. actually starts back in verse 3, but it, it goes through verse 14. And I'm still waiting for somebody to give me a diagram of that sentence. <laughs> Uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it's one long sentence in the Greek. It's going to take us three weeks to take a look at what is really being said in that, in that particular sentence. Today we're looking at just the, the Father's part here. But again, as we look at this, we get a glimpse, I believe, in these verses of the work of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and each one of them has a set of blessings that he brings into our life. The Father is the one, well, if you go back to creation, you will find all three members were active in creation as well. And all three are active as far as salvation is concerned as well. The Father is the one who, who planned it before the foundation of the world. He's the one who administers that uh, salvation for us. Remember, in Jesus in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Father set the process. I I realize it's popular today to say all roads lead to the same place and so forth, but that's not what the Father said. The Father said this is the way. He's the one that administers it because he's the one that had planned it all for us. The Son has provided that salvation for us. 
He's the one that accomplished it on the cross. He was the one who was able to cry out, it is finished. The price has been paid. I have made it possible for you to have salvation. And then it's the Holy Spirit that presents that gospel message to us. We wouldn't come to God if the Holy Spirit hadn't been working in our hearts and lives and, and drawing us to himself. So he is the one that actually applies that to our lives there. So as I said, it's a long, complicated sentence. All three of them have a blessing for our life. We'll look at the blessings of the Father today. Three truths come out of these verses. First of all, the Father chose us. He chose us to be part of his family. Now that sometimes is a difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around. I thought we had free will. I thought we had the right to choose whether we're going to be a child of God or not. Well, the fact of the matter is, both his election and our free will are taught in Scripture. I, uh, I think it was Spurgeon that was asked, how do you reconcile those two in your thinking? And he said, I don't try to reconcile friends. They, they go hand in hand. Uh, I, as I think about that, I think of quite a few years ago now, I'm not going to tell you how many, but uh, I asked Ginger to be my wife. Now, I like to think I did the choosing, um, but uh, if she'd have said no, and that's, that's the problem that men face. W- women have it easy. All they've got to do is say yes or no. Uh, men have to wrestle with what, what's going to happen if she says no. Uh, uh, and uh, so uh, when you think about that, did, when you really wrestle with that, did I choose her or did she choose me? Or did we both have a part to play in that? And I think that's so true of our salvation. He chose us to be part of his family. We have the responsibility to make that choice to say yes, to, to accept the, the salvation that, that he holds out to us there. Now, the, the obvious question is, why would he choose me? You ever wrestle with that? Uh, sometimes in prayer, you ever do, come to the Lord in prayer and ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? You know, we get to whining and complaining a little bit when things aren't going the way we think they should. And we say, well, why me? Uh, a better question probably would be, why not me? Because Scripture said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet God chose us to be a part of his family. There's a blessing involved in that little word, chose. As a young people, a young person growing up in school, I started school when I was five years of age, started grade one. The, the deadline for starting uh, grade one was November 30th. You had to be six by November 30th. I was six on November 28th. So guess what? I was the youngest and the smallest in the class for years. And I used to hate it when they said, we're going to choose up teams out there on the playground. Because as the youngest and the smallest, guess who's usually the last one chosen? I, I always decided if I ever are in a place where I'm leading a sports program, I'm not going to allow them to choose up teams. And I haven't. When I I led in a school program, I'd line them up and go one, two, one, two, or whatever it takes and and assign them to teams. Because I, I didn't want somebody forced into that position where they're always the last one to be chosen. Praise the Lord. As you read that little phrase, he chose us. God wanted you to be part of his family. You weren't the last one chosen. 
He had a special interest in you. He wanted you to be part of his family even before the foundation of the world, he says here. That choosing is not based on our works. It's not based on our efforts. It's not based on our abilities or talents. It's based on the fact that God, before the foundation of the world, said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. Even before Adam sinned, God wanted us to be a part of his family. And I would suggest today that Adam's sin and yours did not take God by surprise. Even before that happened, he had a plan in place that would allow you to be a part of his family. He prepared the way in advance. We might say, well, if he knew we were going to do that, why did he bother creating us? Well, he didn't want a bunch of robots. He wanted individuals who would love him for who he was and and to be able to respond to, to that love. And so he gave us that freedom of choice. But you know, as you look at this, the Father chose us. I think it's a a very encouraging truth. Do you ever look in the mirror and wonder how in the world God could love you? Ever look in the mirror and wonder how in the world somebody else could love you, let let alone God? Uh, You ever feel like you don't measure up to people's expectations? Uh, Or you look at their past and you look at how you messed up and yet wonder why in the world would God choose me? The fact of the matter is, he loves us. He wanted us. He chose us to be a part of his family. I love that little phrase that uh, uh, comes out of back in the days when we had kids at home. We looked at some of those really deep movies, you know, uh, Aladdin. Any of you seen Aladdin? The, the, the story there. Uh, uh, as the story unfolds, there's the street rat and the princess, and they fall in love. And the only problem is the law of the land de- declares that a princess has to marry a prince, and, and so there's no way that they can ever hope to get together until you come to the end of the movie, and the emperor said, hey, wait a minute, I'm the emperor, I can rewrite the rules. And he decreed that the princess could marry whoever she chose. Novel idea there. Uh, uh, but uh, do you remember the words uh, as soon as he decreed that? Do you remember what she said? I choose you as she looks at Aladdin. And she made that choice in, in that moment. Uh, God looks at us and he says, I chose you. I want you to be a part of my family. He wants us to be holy, he said, without blame. What, what, what is he saying in that? that? We have to come up to his expectations before we're part of his family? No. He's saying, I want to help you become all that you can be, all that I created you to be, all that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden as they walked with God. He wants us to walk in fellowship with him as well. And I realize when we look at our lives Sometimes we realize, I'm not there yet. I'm I'm not like Christ. There's areas that he's still working on. The Apostle Paul struggled with that as well. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm pressing forward. I'm becoming more and more what Christ wants me to be, and I'm looking forward to the upward call of Christ Jesus, to the day when I'm finally home with him, and I will be all that he wants me to be there. The process will be complete. But as we go through that process, 
never lose sight of the fact that he chose you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He is at work in your life, growing you into the image of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes as we think about that, maybe we need to stop making some excuses. Sometimes, well, that's just the way I am. No, that's not just the way you are. You're a new creature in Christ. He's making you into the image of Jesus Christ. Are you cooperating with that process? He chose you for a purpose, and and are we cooperating with him there? The second truth that comes out of this passage is the fact that the Father adopted us in verse 5. Again, uh, Paul gives us a lot of terms to wrestle with in this this sentence. Notice he starts out, verse 5, he predestined us. The word predestined means to appoint beforehand. God knew in advance what would happen in your life. I don't think the future ever takes God by surprise. He already knows the path that he has for us there. He knew in advance and he set in motion a plan to bring you to that place where not only did he could say, I chose you, but you could say, I chose him. He orchestrated those events. I sometimes marvel at all that was involved in my coming to Christ. I resisted that for about four years. I like to think it started at about the age of eight when I was invited to a Bible club and went just to keep the teacher off my back so that I wouldn't get in trouble in school. But, uh, you know, I, as I look back, I, I think it started much farther back than that. I had a, a great-grandmother that prayed, uh, and I, I knew her for the first several years of my life. I, unfortunately, I, she didn't know that I came to Christ as Savior. She, she died shortly before I did that, uh, looking forward to sitting down with her in glory and, and sharing, hey, you know what? God answered your prayers, and God worked in, in that. Uh, I, I, I think we're in for some real surprises when we get to glory. I, I don't remember the name of the song, but uh, the storyline goes, you're walking down the streets of glory and, and somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, thanks, I'm, I'm here because of you. I, I wonder how many people out there that we're going to have to tap on the shoulder and say, thanks. You played a part in my, my coming to, to the Savior. And, and we, in that moment, we'll have an opportunity to, to express our, our thanks for that. But most of all, it happened because God set that plan in motion, collectively and individually, in our lives. And are we thankful that he chose us and that he had in mind that we would be adopted into his family? As I think of that term adopted here, weren't we born into the family of God? Uh-uh. You weren't? Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. So let me ask that question again. Were you born into the family of God? Yeah, the new birth. Yeah. How many of you can think back in your life to the day when you were born again, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? So what do we need adoption for then? What do we need to be adopted into the family? John 1 says we enter the family through the new birth. Adoption is a totally different picture in Scripture. We we need to understand the Greek and the the Hebrew culture of of that particular day in which Paul was writing. In in that day, uh, a child was legally adopted into the family. Uh, For the Jewish people, it was 
at about the age of 13. They had the bar mitzvah experience and so forth, the ceremony there. Until that day, notice what he said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. The child was under the rule of those that have been put in that place to rule over him. As long as he was a child, he didn't have the right to say, do this or do that. He had to obey those that were in authority over him. In the Greek and and in Hebrew, when a child was adopted, they were given the right to be a full legal adult member of that society. So it wasn't just that they were being brought into the family. They had reached the point where the father was recognizing, you are an adult, you are able to act as an adult, you have all of the privileges in that moment and the responsibilities of an adopted child. Now, every privilege brings responsibility with it. And and, uh, in the Greek, uh, when a child was adopted, the father could not revoke that adoption. As long as they were just a child, they hadn't officially recognized them as an adult member of that family, they, they could get rid of that child anytime they wanted. But once they went through that adoption ceremony, that child was a part of that family and could not be dismissed from the, the, the family there. As adopted sons of God, daughters of God, we have the right to draw on the resources of the Father. We've been given that adult status. We have a right to exercise that status, so much so that when you come down to First Peter, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father. Hey, any of you quote that, ladies? <laughs> You've just learned that, haven't you? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Because we've been adopted into the family of God, we have that living hope today. It's not that sense of, well, I, I hope I make it. No, it's a living hope. It's a reality for us today. I, I still remember when Vicky, our daughter, youngest daughter, was probably a little, about two, maybe three years of it. Well, probably about two. Uh, ours was always a family of readers. We, we always had stacks of book, all, books all over the place. And, and a lot of times in the evening, if there was nothing else to do, we didn't have TV, so we didn't have that to occupy our time. We'd sit around reading. And our kids did the same. Our, our, our son loved it when we moved from one town to another because that gave him a whole new library to explore. And, and, he, and he did. He explored it. But uh, I, I still remember we're sitting in our living room there in, in uh, Little Wet, British Columbia, reading. And here comes Vicki out of her room with a big stack full of books. And she says those words, hope somebody reads me a book. Now, there was no doubt in that child's mind that somebody would do that. That was a living hope as far as she was concerned. She knew all she had to do was ask, and and that would be reality. Those spiritual blessings are reality for us today. 
We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. All we have to do sometimes is ask. Uh, James says, James chapter 4, sometimes we have not. Why? Because we don't ask. The, the blessings are there. We have that right as a legal adult within the family of God to draw on our resources. But sometimes we don't do it. And that's sad. Uh, sometimes we make excuses. Uh, sometimes we uh, say, I can't. You ever say that? I can't do that. And God's saying, I want you to do that. And we say, I can't do that. Now, if God says do it, you have the resources to draw on to do it. He, he's promised you that. He said, without me, you can do nothing. But if, if he asked you, then you don't have an excuse not to do it. Uh, sometimes we don't ask because if we're not careful, we think of ourselves as second-class citizens in the family of God. I, I was reminded of that back in 1996, we went back to Lillette after being gone for over 10 years. Uh, they, they asked if we would come back and work with the school program for a year, help them get some things back on track there. Uh, there. There was a young man and his wife, and I, I don't know if, how many kids they had, but uh, he had come to, into the church after we left. I didn't know him bef- before. Uh, but uh, we went to Chris's house one day f- for dinner. He invited us over, and we were getting to know him there. And, and in the course of the conversation, with sadness in his voice, he said, the most I can hope to be in the church is a Sunday school teacher of the little kids. Now, uh, if that's what God asked you to do, that's not a bad thing. Now, that, that's an honor. That, that's a privilege. But, but I, I, I could sense the, the pain as he said that. And I said, why do you say that? Well, he said, a few years ago, before I came to the Lord, I was divorced. And now the church is telling me because I was divorced, I can't serve in the church. Oh, what a tragedy. They've, they've made him into a second-class citizen. Uh, I don't find that in Scripture. I, I believe God had worked in his heart. He had transformed him. I, I think he had a bright future ahead of him. God was able to step in and transform and change that life. Why? Because not only had he been born again, but he had been adopted into the family. God is able to work in those situations to the glory of God. Now, I realize, as I say, that sometimes sin brings limitations into our life. But it doesn't make us a second-class citizen. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's that little chorus says, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sin, it's gone. It's buried in the depths of the deepest sea. And he goes on to say, praise the Lord, that's good enough for me. And if it's good enough for the Lord, it should be good enough for us as well. We've been adopted into the family. And what a tremendous blessing and a tremendous privilege that is. And then, if that isn't enough, one more blessing. The Father accepts us in verse 6. My version puts it, for the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The the King James Version, I, I like the King James Version on that. It says we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted because of what Jesus Christ did for us. It is based on the work of Christ on the cross that we are accepted by the Father today. Now, we're going to see more of that work next week as we look at the blessings from the Son. But it's a tremendous privilege to be able to say the Father has 
accepted us. We've been brought into his family. Many years ago, oh, 50 years ago now, I left my home to go into the Lord's service. I can probably count on my, the fingers of my two hands the number of times I've been back home since then. I have drifted away from uh, my family. I have three brothers, and you can guess how many of them are good at writing letters. <laughs> not, not a one of us. My, my wife's the, the letter writer in the family, so while I occasionally call one of my brothers, they, we are almost strangers in that sense. I feel today much closer to Ginger's family than to my own family that I grew up with. And the reason for that is I was accepted into that family in the beloved. When I married her, I was brought into the family, not on the basis of what I did, but because she was a part of the family. And her parents took me in as part of their family, we still have regular contact with her sisters and their family. Uh, I used to say when my mother-in-law was living, if, if Ginger and I ever had a major argument, uh, Gloria would take my side. <laughs> That's how much I felt accepted in, in, into the family there. Uh, and not because of me, but because I was one with, with the beloved there. And, and I think that's an important truth for us. The Father has accepted us because we are one with Jesus Christ. We're accepted in the beloved today. Now, as we say that, uh, why is that important for us to realize that we've been chosen, that we've been adopted, that, that we've been accepted by the Father? Well, I think the reason for that is found there in the opening part of verse 6. He says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Today, that is what you're here for. To be a living demonstration to the world of the grace of God. To, to reveal to the world a glimpse of the glory of his grace today. You are that living demonstration as a, as a member of God's family. You are here to represent God to the world in which you live. <laughs> And the grace of God is what makes that possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace, are you what? Saved. It's not a work, not a, not a, based on our works there. It's, we're saved by grace through faith there. Praise the Lord for the grace of God that brought us into his family. Not only that, Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten cries out, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Ever stopped and wrestled with that? You are what you are today because of the grace of God. He has been at work in your life. He has led you through the circumstances, the trials, the blessings, all all that has happened in your life to bring you to the place to make you what you are today. By the grace of God, you are who you are today. And then, as I think of the grace of God, I think of 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. Chapter 12, excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I think I'll take time to read that. I was just going to pick a highlight out of it, but I think we need the whole thing today. Uh, he says in verse 9, uh, th- this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He, he has uh, prayed three times that the Lord would remove a thorn in the flesh from him. Do you ever have times when you ask the Lord to take something out of your life? 
Maybe it's pain. I, I don't know what it was for Paul. Maybe it's a difficult person. Maybe, maybe it's 101 things that, that you pray. Lord, I, I want you to do something in this situation. Uh, in, in verse 8, he said, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And this is God's answer. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell on me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Wrestle with that verse for this week, verses 9 and 10 there. My grace is made perfect in your weakness. If God takes you through a time of pain, it's so that his grace can be perfected in you. And so that somebody else will get a glimpse of the grace of God as you react rightly through it. If he takes you through persecutions or difficulties, uh, just read verse 10 to yourself there. Can you see yourself in one of those in verse 10 today? Think about that for a minute. Any weakness, any insults, any distresses, anything going on in your life that you just plain don't like? God says, turn it over to me, and I, my grace, will be made perfect in your life. And as Paul is saying then in Ephesians, if we do that, then we will live to the praise of the glory of his grace. Do we want that? Do we want him to be glorified through our lives? That, that, that's not an easy question. Uh, I took the men in our morning Bible study through Philippians not too long ago. Philippians chapter 1, Paul said, you know, it doesn't matter whether I live or die as long as God's glorified. Do we really mean that? Are we willing to pray, Lord, whatever you want to do, I want you to do so that you can be glorified through me? That may be that God will say, okay, if you mean business, I'm just going to pour out the blessing on you. You're going to have a, a tremendous blessing this week. Hey, God is able to do that. It may be that God will say, okay, if you really mean that, I'm going to put you through a trial so that somebody else can get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Is that okay with us? Are, are we willing to say whether it's by life or by death, Lord? I, it doesn't matter to me as long as, uh, as you are glorified in my life. Some of you grew up with the catechism approach to, to learning scriptural truth and doctrine. Um, do you remember the Westminster Catechism, the question, what is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is what? Some of you can tell me that. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, sometimes we stop with just the first one, don't we, to glorify God. But, you know, if we truly desire to glorify God, we're going to enjoy him as well. That's going to be part of it. I don't think we can separate those two truths. I don't know who originally wrote that catechism, but they really captured a tremendous truth in that. To glorify God. Is that our desire? To, to really enjoy the fact that God is our Heavenly Father today. We don't need to go around feeling poor me, feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling that we can't accomplish anything, that we're no good. We have been chosen to be part of the family of God. What a tremendous privilege that is. We have been adopted, given that legal standing within his family. We've been accepted by the Father. No wonder we have that song, Count Your Many Blessings.
see what God hath done. That's what the Father has done for us. And with that in mind, after we pray, we're going to sing that song to God. Not to us, but to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Let's celebrate that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we don't understand it, Father. But we want to say thank you that somehow in the distant past, you looked at it down through the course of time and said, I choose you. I want you to be one of mine. I want you to be part of my family. We just want to say thank you for that today. want to thank you that you not only made us a child in your family, but you've adopted us as sons of God, given us that full legal standing and all that goes with that. And then that we can stand here today and simply say we've been accepted. Sometimes we're rejected by those that we love. Sometimes we're rejected by those around us, but we're never rejected by you. You have accepted us in the beloved. And we say thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing together, To God Be the Glory.